What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, before we get going today, I would like to um, extend a thank you to Mike Craddy and Justin Miller for coming on Guest Friday last week. Uh, to talk about uh, sports broadcasting camps. That was a really fun conversation, fun to reminisce uh, about the days that we uh, did the camp. Um, you know, I think that as as the three of us said in that conversation, you know, we owe a lot to, to that camp and owe a lot to, you know, that as uh, a vessel for, you know, pushing our careers further. So um, it was a really fun conversation and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it as well if you listened to it. Um, if you haven't, you can go listen to it on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, with that being said, we're going to get right into it this week. Um, you know, honestly, I had a, a different plan before uh, I woke up this morning. I was uh, intending to do uh, Red Sox first, um, and I was also intending to uh, not talk any Celtics this week because there was you know, no news that really came out, and that was the case until this morning when the uh, report came out from uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and Shams, uh, uh Shams Terrania, um, with the report that the uh, Celtics have uh, potentially emerged um, as a, a team that's uh, could be interested um, in acquiring uh, Kevin Durant. So that was uh, definitely a, a Woj bomb, uh, if you, I mean, definitely is a, is a huge kind of bomb that kind of shook up the NBA. You know, obviously, as we've, if, if you've read the reports, you know, there's nothing that's imminent at the moment. Um, you know, the report came out that the, uh, Celtics had offered Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick to the Nets for Durant, um, which the Nets, you know, rejected. Um, Brooklyn then, in a counter, um, asked that the Celtics need to include Marcus Smart um, in any more trade proposals. So, um, you know, it's obviously a lot to unpack. Um, that's where we're going to start today because it made sense to start with this news because it's the most fresh. Um, but clearly, you know, this tells you that the Celtics have emerged as a legitimate candidate to acquire Kevin Durant. Um, you know, obviously it's a steep price, you know, and that's very clear. Um, so I think just uh, first things first, just to kind of get out of the way, my opinion about this, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the Celtics checked in on Durant's availability because I just think at the end of the day it's Kevin Durant you know he's one of the best players in the league you know full health he might be the best player in the league I don't agree with that statement but that doesn't matter I think that if a player of that caliber is available um, and looking to be traded you know it's it's your due diligence to check in on the availability of that player even if you realistically have no interest in acquiring that player. Um, you know, obviously in this report, it states that the Celtics are 
you know, very interested in Durant because it seemed because it feels like the Celtics could um, be a lot closer to a championship. You know, that statement is just completely ridiculous to me because you just were in the championship round, you know, a little more than a month ago. So it's like, that's part of the reason why, okay, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, I think. Um, I think just getting back to, you know, checking in on a player of that caliber, I think every GM that had the ability to do that, you know, if they had the amount of like cap space or whatever, you have to check in on those types of players. I mean, I think if you're not checking in on the availability in the availability of a player like that, you know, you shouldn't be running an NBA franchise. Um, so I think that part of it to me makes some sense that the Celtics would check in. You know, I think that if you think about that particular trade offer, you know, the Nets clearly are going to say no to that because I think with a player of Durant's caliber, you want to get at least two, you know, very good starting caliber NBA players. Um, you know, I think Derek White's a nice player, but he's not really a, a starter at this point. You know, I think that if the Nets want Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, I think if if I'm the Celtics, I walk away from that because I think, look, obviously it's Kevin Durant. He's an amazing player, but I think if you are losing, you know, Jalen Brown, Derek White, Marcus Smart, and potentially another player, you are going to get worse defensively. And I think the issue with trading Smart and trading Derek White probably you lose two ball handlers right there, and you are now relying on Malcolm Brogdon to be the starting point guard when he played 36 games last year. He played 48 games the year before. You're asking a guy who's been injury-prone throughout his career to now be the starting point guard and now be someone that is going to be playing upwards of 30, 32 minutes a night, and I don't think that that's smart at all. Um, the other part of it is, I mean, there are many parts to this. As much as the Celtics view, you know, getting Durant is making them even better of a title contender, you're already a title contender. You know, what would be the point of bringing in a player of that caliber if you're going to cut some, like, huge pieces of your team and your culture off just so you can try to win one championship? Because at the end of the day, that's probably all it's going to be. If you keep Jalen Brown, your championship window remains possible for years. You know, you have a possibility to win multiple championships. You know, if you bring in Durant, you know, what if he then wants to leave your team in two years? You know, we've seen, we've seen with Durant, he's already forced himself off of two teams, the Warriors and now the Nets. It's like, do you really want to take that chance that he is going to be here for the four years remaining on his contract. You know, he's had some injury issues. And I'm not saying that he's injury prone, but he's had some seasons where he's missed huge portions of time. And so I think you also have to consider the age. It is Kevin Durant, but he's 34. He'll be 38 years old by the time the contract's out. You're not going to have the financial flexibility that the Celtics have tried to maintain over the last few years, or at least since Brad Stevens has come in. Um, and I think you already have a core that is good enough to compete for a championship. We just saw that. And I just think to just throw that away, just so you can get an all-time great, I don't think it's worth it. 
at the end of the day, I don't think it's worth it. And I don't think that the Celtics should be making this type of move. Um, it just makes you a lot worse defensively. And I don't really, I'm not sold on the idea of Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum, you know, playing together. Do they really mesh? I don't think that they do. I think Jalen Brown meshes with Jason Tatum a lot better. Um, and I just think you're getting Kevin Durant, who's a very similar skill set to Jason Tatum. You know, that's the, the way that they play offense is very similar. And I just, you're at, you're going to be asking a lot of, of, of players that you've brought in for a specific role. It's like you brought in Malcolm Brogdon for a specific role to be that sixth man. Why all of a sudden would you make a trade that would force him to then be the starting point guard? I don't think he would care necessarily, but it's like, as I said, he can't stay healthy. Why would you want him to be, you know, your starting point guard when, you know, if you trade Marcus Smart and you trade Derek White, you have Brogdon and you have Peyton Pritchard. You know, Peyton Pritchard's played well, but it's like, you really want him to be playing those main, you know, backup point guard minutes? I don't know if he's ready for that. And I just think it's it's not a it's not a trade that makes sense. And I think the other part of this that is kind of annoying to me is, you know, how is Jalen gonna react to this news? And I think to me, this whole thing tells me that I think the Nets are trying to, you know, put something out there to try to get more interest in Kevin Durant. I don't really think that there's any real possibility that the Celtics are going to be acquiring Kevin Durant. Um, obviously, I could be wrong, but it just, it tells me, you know, the timing of this report came out at 2.30 this morning. That's a little weird. You know, this is only kind of the second trade offer that I think has been made public, I guess, or has leaked. You know, we heard about the, the Timberwolves offer a number of weeks ago with Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and first-round picks that the Wolves will offer for Kevin Durant. And I just think the timing is, is kind of strange, and I think this all could just be a ploy by the Nets, but I think you hope that Jalen doesn't take this the wrong way, and I hope that he understands that this is not, you know, a personal decision. You know, that's clearly a decision that you make to give yourselves a better chance to win. I just think that He's smart enough that he's not going to take this personally and take this as, you know, the Celtics don't want him. And I think that that's the hope that he doesn't take it the wrong way and he doesn't take it as the Celtics are trying to get rid of him. You know, I hope that he understands that the front office is doing their due diligence, that if a availability of a player like Kevin Durant, you know, comes across your desk, you have to at least check in. And be like, okay, realistically, what what could it do to get this guy to the Celtics if he did want to come here? Um, I also think that that's a whole nother thing. I don't believe Kevin Durant wants to come to the Celtics. I mean, I think it, based on the way that he has seen the way that you know Boston fans have treated Kyrie Irving, you know, whether fair or unfair, I think that I don't think he wants to come to Boston and come to a place that you know, kind of already treats Kyrie Irving the way that, the, the way that they, they did. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole thing of like, whether it's fair or not, the treatment that he gets. Um, but I just think 
at the end of the day, I don't think this is a move that makes sense for the Celtics because I think in the long run, it doesn't make them better. Maybe in the short term, it makes them better. And I think that's even enough for me that if the move doesn't even make you better in the short term, then what's the point? You know, sure, if you acquired Durant, maybe you would be a title favorite, but I don't think the team's cohesion would work as well. I just think that that's not, this is not the type of move that they need right now. They have made two excellent moves in the offseason, Brogdon and Gallinari, and they've made this team even more dangerous. If you're trading for Kevin Durant, you are, you know, taking away pieces of your team. You know, what's the point in getting a player of that caliber if you're going to lose, you know, a huge part of your team? And I just think at the end of the day, it's not worth it. But, you know, who knows? With this report, you never know. You know, you never know if this is like a legitimate report that are the Celtics really engaging with the Nets or is this just something that maybe the Celtics offered weeks ago and the Nets are just now putting this out there because there's been nothing said about Kevin Durant in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, obviously we'll maintain or we'll pay attention to this report, but uh, I figured it made sense just to start with this, just to get this out of the way so that uh, it's, you know, still, still fresh in our heads. <laughs> so I think we'll move on from the Celtics. We're going to uh, get to the Red Sox and uh, things have gone from bad to worse. You know, we talked last week, the Red Sox at the um, all-star break, you know, 48 and 45, you know, going into the break, really kind of at a low point. And, you know, believe it or not, uh, the uh, low point got even lower uh, with a horrifying loss to the Blue Jays um, on Friday night, uh, 28 to 5, probably one of the, if not the worst, loss that the Red Sox have suffered um, in, in a long, long time. Um, and I just think if ever there was more of a note of a, or if ever there was a sign that this team should be, you know, approaching the trade deadline in a certain way, you know, I think sales broken pinky and that loss on Friday night should tell you everything you need to know that this team just is not good enough to compete at the end of the day. And I think it's frustrating because I think that, you know, if you look at the way the Red Sox have had approached, you know, the off season and going into the season, they certainly had hoped that there would be certain players that would be performing and they're not, you know, surprise, surprise, you know, it's not really a surprise to some people. You know, I think that clearly they went into the season with, you know, issues at certain positions and, they've kind of stayed that way, you know, and unfortunately at this point, you know, the Red Sox have been ravaged by injuries and it's come at the poss- at possibly the worst time that, you know, you are already not playing well, you know, you've lost 13 out of 17 and you have, you know, half of your regulars not available to play. You have almost all your, you have some of your starters that are unavailable and it just is like, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is with injuries. It is what it is with guys not playing well enough. You know, I think clearly, if you look at first base in particular, the Red Sox, I think probably thought that Tristan Cassis would be available to, you know, make his debut at some point. But, you know, an injury kind of got in the way. He's just now getting back to, 
playing games in Worcester, and I think the Red Sox went into the season thinking that, you know, a platoon of Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero would be able to work and work like okay enough, but obviously it's been it's been terrible. You know, the right field position with Jackie Bradley not giving you anything offensively, which is not really much of a surprise, but you know, I just think it's it's clear that I think already this team wasn't good enough to compete and now you know, you're asking this group to stay competitive when they are not fielding a, you know, MLB roster that, uh, or MLB lineup on certain nights. And it's like, you know, they're not exactly any other better options necessarily. So, you know, I just think the group's just not competitive. And I think, you know, people have to recognize that and we have to realize that, okay, you know, they, they tried, you know, they tried to see if they could, I don't know, play a brand of baseball that was similar to last year. It's not what I'm trying to say, but like, you know, they went into last season, you know, kind of hoping that certain guys would be able to play well and they did, but you know, you're not really getting the same, you're not really getting the same level of production uh, from certain places as you did last year. And I just think, you know, yeah, was, is, it a, is it a fault of how the team was constructed in the offseason? You know, probably. You know, I think, uh, you know, the other part of it is you're just ravaged by injuries. You know, Devers is on the IL. You know, Martinez has missed the last three games. Trevor Story is still out. You know, Kike Hernandez, I'm not even sure we're going to see him the rest of the year um, as he had a like a setback from his hip issue. You know, obviously Chris Sale. You know, if Aldi was hurt for a while, you know, Michael Walker, Rich Taylor still out. You know, you're, you've had to throw out a lot of, you know, young pitchers that are pitching into major leagues for the first time. And, you know, I just think at, at this current moment, I don't really know what people are expecting. You know, this is the product that is on the field, obviously, at full health. It would be a lot different. You know, obviously, there's some guys that have really struggled up at the major league level and don't really look like they belong in the major leagues. But, you know, it's like, I don't really know what better options that they have. And sure, you can complain about what they did or didn't do in the off season, but it's like, this is what the situation is now. Um, so, I mean, there's really not a whole lot of positive spin that you can, you know, take out of this because it's just, I think that we all figured that they would they were going to be a competitive team. We all figured that okay, it was a bad start to the season. They rebounded, you know, thirty two and twelve um, in forty four games or whatever it was. But I think clearly we were fooled by that. You know, this team is not good enough to compete in this division. And I think the record that they had against other teams is like okay, they're just not good enough to compete in. Um, they're just not good enough to compete in this division that has three very good baseball teams that are probably going to make the playoffs and another team that's, you know, playing out of their minds right now, maybe start starting to figure things out as an organization with the Orioles. So, you know, I think it's just kind of how it go, how, how it's gone with this division. I just think I, I can't see them being a team that's going to compete for a playoff spot. And I know that, you know, sure, they could just tread water and hopefully they can get guys back healthy and they can get back, 
get into the playoffs, but I just think based on the way that they've played against division opponents and I just, I can't see them being a competitive team. Um, you know, and I think that it makes you look at how you approach the trade deadline. I'll obviously talk with um, Evan Greasing later this week when we talk about what the Red Sox approach of the trade deadline is going to be. Um, but I just think it's obviously going to take a huge, it's going to take some balls, you know, to trade away some guys that, you know, are big performers for your team. But I think you have to recognize that this team probably is not going to be able to do much the rest of the season. And I just think you have to operate with that mentality. And then that's just my opinion. You know, who knows? But I think you do have to seriously look at trading a Nate Valdi, trading a J.D. Martinez, trading a, you know, Christian Vasquez perhaps, or exploring something with Bogarts if you're not going to sign him at the end of the season. Um, I think that it's time that you start exploring it because I think, you know, look, you lose to a Blue Jays team that you're likely going to play at some point in the playoffs. Um, you know, if you get there, you know, maybe you play them in the, the first round and you have to travel to Toronto or something like that. I just don't feel good about their chances against any team in this division. And look, all the game, like the majority of the games they're playing the rest of the way are against the division. They're 12 and 29. So it's like, I don't know what makes you think that they can you know, acquire some pieces, acquire someone like a Kyle Schwarber uh, type, you know, not Kyle Schwarber exactly, but someone like that. I don't know what makes you think that they could do that. And then all of a sudden they're just going to play better because they just think this team is just not, it's just not where it needs to be. Um, and I also think that there are some guys that, you know, you do rely on for your offense. It's not exactly been great production seasons from a couple of those guys, you know, Martinez and, and Bogarts, their home runs have been down, you know, they're getting hits, but they're not driving guys in. So it's like, even those guys who you rely on, they're not even exactly performing the way that they should. So I think honestly, the only, um, really kind of the only positive of this is that the younger players are getting chances to play. And I know that that's frustrating for a lot of people because it seems like they are um, making a lot of mistakes and that's legitimate because a lot of these guys are, you know, playing in the majors for the first time. You know, it's their first time playing Major League Baseball and, you know, mistakes are going to happen. And I think it's going to be what it's going to be. There's really not a whole lot that we can do you know, except for hoping that these guys can be able to play through the struggles. And, you know, clearly uh, Jaron Duran's had a really tough time the last couple of games. You know, I think a lot of people are upset with the way that he didn't run after the um, inside the park Grand Slam, you know, and I think that it's legit, you know, it's legit to be upset with someone who, you know, chose not to run after a ball. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, the only way that guys like that are going to, you know, learn from that is to keep playing. And look, if you can't play through booze, then you shouldn't be here. You know, it's just like it's part of being a professional athlete. It's part of, you know, being, a, yeah, I mean, it's part of being a professional athlete. Like, you have to deal with things like that. And I think, you know, some people might 
say that, you know, playing him the next day was a, was a bad move, but it's like, that's the only way that guys like that are going to, you know, get better and learn lessons. I mean, that's at least what you hope. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's good experience for guys like Jeter Downs because, you know, it gives them an idea of what it's like to play at the major league level. And it's like, look, so, some of them may be struggling right now, but it's like there are plenty of other young Red Sox players that came up the first time it struggled. You know, the first year that or the call-up that Dustin Pedroia had um, at, the, at the end of the 2006 season, maybe, you know, he struggled. And I think we can't just automatically say that these kids suck just because they've played a week or two of games at this level. You know, I think that the jury's still out on Jeter Downs. The jury's still out on Brian Bayo. You know, I don't really think that this is, you know, it could, we're hoping that it could be a positive and you kind of try to see some of these young guys develop. You know, I think Tristan Cassis, you'll definitely see up in Boston at some point. Um, it's, it's at some point before the end of the season. Um, but I think it's an opportunity for those guys. And as frustrating as it might be, they're just not going to compete this year. And I think that people kind of just have to come to terms with it and be like, okay, this is what this team is going to be. And that's what it's going to be. You know, I just, I just got really frustrated yesterday when, you know, you have people tweeting things like, oh, this team's unwatchable. Well, okay. No one's forcing you to watch this team. You know, if you can't take it, then you can't take it. But it's just like, look, this is what it's going to be. When you're rooting for a professional sports team, it's not always going to go the way that you want it to go. It's not always going to be great. It's not always going to be, you know, perfect. And, you know, it's not all just going to be, you know, rosy. You know, you're going to go through some some tough times. I mean, this Red Sox team has gone through tough times before. I mean, you can, you can think about some of the seasons that they were just not good. Um, but it's like, look, that it, it is what it is. I mean, what are you going to do? There's really... Not much that you can do. You know, if you want to watch the team and watch some of the younger players, that's fine. But if you're going to say things like they're unwatchable, well, how about you just don't watch? It's really not that hard. Um, so that's just kind of all I'm going to say on that. Um, you know, the other part of the Red Sox uh, weekend that was exciting was uh, David Ortiz's Hall of Fame induction which took place yesterday afternoon, which is a really cool uh, ceremony. Um, you know, David's just, David's just David. You know, he steals the spotlight and is just someone that uh, we all love and just is so special to all of us, you know, as Red Sox fans and Boston sports fans, because just, there's just something about him. You know, he's got, he's got a presence um, and it's very rare, you know, that you have guys like that. You have players like that that come through the city and just it's like you know they were meant to be here all along you know when we all heard about David Ortiz and his you know upcoming through the Mariners organization you know playing in the pros in Minnesota for a little bit but it's just like it just always felt like he just belonged here that it just was you know destiny to bring him here and destiny that he was gonna lead this team to multiple championships and it's just you know, the, the stories are endless. The 
um, things that he did in the organization and in the community. It's just, you know, stuff of legend. So I think it just was a really cool ceremony and, you know, just great to see him honored. Um, just a true ambassador of the game of baseball and, you know, the Red Sox organization. So I think it was uh, just a really cool ceremony to see and definitely, you know, something that made all of us emotional because I think, you know, without him, maybe the Red Sox are still searching for a, a World Series title. Um, it's just crazy to think that, you know, him, him getting here has resulted in this baseball team being, you know, one of the best in baseball over the last 20 years. So, you know, obviously the the timing of the ceremony probably couldn't be worse, but um, just a really special ceremony, special to see uh, some former Red Sox um, in the crowd um, yesterday afternoon. It's a really cool ceremony. Congrats to David. And, you know, hopefully we'll be seeing uh, plenty more of him um, in his uh, retirement and you know, post Hall of Fame induction, uh, life, whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, so I think that's going to do it for the Red Sox. We'll uh, take a look at the standings later in the podcast. Um, I think that we will jump to the Patriots because it is finally time for training camp. Training camp opens uh, officially on Wednesday. The uh, rookies reported last Tuesday, the 19th. Veterans will report tomorrow, the 26th, um, and practices begin on Wednesday. I'm hoping to uh, make it out there this weekend for a session on Saturday. So um, if you are making your way out to training camp, be sure to uh, say hello. I'm sure I'll let everyone know that I'll be doing that on the, on the social media. So, um, yeah, if you, if you see me there, feel free to, to say anything, ask me anything, uh, whatever you want. But uh, it's going to be really fun. Uh, as we finally get this team, you know, out doing training camp drills and, you know, we finally kind of get to see a little look as to, you know, what the team might look like, what certain guys might have really good camps. So it's just, it's a great time of year. And I think the timing is great with the uh, Red Sox really having a tough time as now uh, all the football fans can come out of the woodwork and be uh, excited about this. Uh, Patriots team as camp opens Wednesday. So um, it is worth noting that the Patriots are opening camp with five players that are going to be on the uh, physically unable to perform list. Um, Any of these guys are eligible um, to return at any time, but if they remain on the list through the end of the summer, they can stay there through the first six weeks of the season without costing a roster spot to these guys imagining that these guys will return to some of the guys on this list. Uh, James White, David Andrews, uh, Jonathan Jones, Raekwon McMillan, and Jabril Peppers. Uh, McMillan and Peppers both are coming off torn ACLs. James White obviously continues to recover from his hip injury. And then Jonathan Jones, David Andrews, both recuperating from shoulder uh, surgeries. So it seems like you know, if we think about this, some of these guys, you know, I really think that they could be um, really could be valuable contributors to this team this year um, if they're healthy. You know, we talked about James White for a bit uh, last week as, you know, kind of don't know where he's at with the hip injury because, you know, it's just a, it's a challenging, it's a challenging injury, I think, for player of James White's age um, in his position. So 
you know, hopefully he can come back at some point, you know. I don't think any of these guys, it was necessarily a surprise as they're all kind of rehabbing injuries. It's not anyone that, you know, is suffered a surprise injury or something like that, but I think it will be worth paying attention to some of these guys that when they come back, you know, what do they look like? Are they going to be, you know, working out on a separate field, um, as was kind of the case with some other guys who have been hurt over the last few years, that they, you know, work out on a separate field. Um, I think personally, I'm most curious to see Jonathan Jones and Jabril Peppers. You know, Jonathan has been a big part of their uh, defense and their secondary over the last few years. And I think that he, you know, his role this season is going to be really, really important. Jabril Peppers, I think, definitely signifies like a change in terms of the types of players that they're looking for on defense. And I think it'll be curious to see what he has because I think best of his ability, you know, he could be a really huge asset to this defense as they kind of, you know, move on from the J.C. Jackson era and, you know, how they can defend against teams that have a lot of speed. So curious to see what those two guys look like, Um, you know, obviously with training camp. And I think we've mentioned this a couple times during the off season that, you know, obviously this is a time of year that the Patriots could bring in some other, uh, I don't want to say other, um, or just they could bring in some free agents that maybe are still um, unsigned. Um, and I think there are some guys that could definitely still, you know, fill a role for this team um, in training camp that, you know, you always see there are guys that are, are, available in free agency, but they don't sign until, you know, training camp or sign close to training camp. And I think there are some guys that the Patriots could still bring in and they could still be, you know, an important uh, part to their team. One of those guys is Dante Hightower is still unsigned. Um, you know, I think that if you would return, you know, it's going to be in a lesser role. Um, and I think that, you know, already based on some of the guys that they've brought in at the linebacker position or at that, you know, safety position that, you know, guys who can play like that similar position. I think that there may not be a spot for someone like him, but I still think that there could be a reason to bring him in because he's just, you know, of this this culture of success and I think could be a big important kind of mentor to some of the younger guys. Um, You know, as a guy who's been through all the battles, has made big plays and big games. Um, But I just think, you know, speed-wise, he may not be able to, you know, have a roster spot. But who knows? The Patriots could use his ability in a pinch. And, you know, I think is still a great locker room guy that I still think could be an asset to this team. Um, You know, Trey Flowers is another guy. He's still unsigned. Um, obviously a former Patriots draft pick and played for the team, signed a deal with the Detroit Lions a couple years ago, Um, never really was able to stay healthy. Um, So he's a possibility the Patriots could bring in as maybe an outside pass rusher, you know, someone on like a a prove-it type of deal. Um, Odell Beckham, obviously, is another name too, although I don't think that that's realistic because if you look at the wide receivers that they have, um, you know, Aguilar, Bourne, um, Parker, Myers, you know, they have a couple of really good guys. And I do think 
that they also have some young players that I think if they make an impression at training camp could possibly get a roster spot, you know, someone like a Trey Nixon or a Tyquan Thornton. Um, and it just wouldn't make sense to bring in someone like Odell Beckham, who obviously has expressed interest in playing for the Patriots in the past. Um, but I just think it may not make sense, but who knows? Um, I think just kind of going off of that and taking a look at some guys that I think are worth watching in, um, in training camp. You know, I obviously mentioned a couple of those guys in the secondary that are starting camp on the uh, PUP list, but I think the offensive line, just the group as a whole, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what types of combinations they use. You know, clearly, I think the early part of training camp, they're not going to be using pads, so the offensive line might not be as as key but i do think if you think about some of the guys who are going to start you know isaiah win uh trent brown you know cole strange obviously the first round pick you know some of those guys i think would be worth paying attention to um you know mac jones is the obvious one you know that would be the obvious one um but i think some of the other guys i mentioned jabril peppers some of the other guys that they brought in defensively you know mac wilson is going to be a guy i'm curious to see Malcolm Butler, it would be interesting to see what he has. Um, Christian Barmore, I think, has the potential to be one of their, if not their best defensive player next year. And I know that that's a huge statement um, because Matt Judon is still on the roster. But it's just the way that you see Barmore just dominate offensive linemen. I think that there's a huge possibility that this guy is an all-pro in a couple years. Um, and I know that that's high praise, but he's just a tremendous athlete and uh, just a monster. So I'm uh, very curious to see what he looks like. You know, I think, uh, and then this was something that uh, Ben Baptiste and I talked about. I can't remember if it was on the pod or, or maybe it was off the pod, but uh, we talked about what type of battles uh, Cole Strange and uh, Christian Barmore are going to get into. Uh, I think we're both very looking forward to that, uh, to see, you know, what they both look like against each other. Um, but look, it's a great time of year to be a football fan. You know, training camp is, I think is a really underrated part of the football season. You know, everyone will say, oh, you know, the first week of the season's great, you know, the stretch run at the end of the year, the playoffs, but man, there's something about training camp that it's just, it's fun everyone's got a chance it seems like um and you get to see you know some rookies or some guys that change teams and you get to see them as part of those new teams for the first time so um, it's definitely an exciting time of year for uh being a patriots fan um and i'm looking forward to talking patriots more regularly on the podcast as we get you know closer towards the preseason and the regular season um so I think we're going to get to the Bruins next. Um, the Bruins have been fairly quiet, I think, in the last week. Uh, the Bruins did announce that they have given Jack Stadnika a new two-year contract with a contract. Or whips. They've given him a two-year contract. The first year um, is a two-way deal, and then the second year is a one-way deal. So um, I think Stadnika really... Uh, guy that could be of huge importance to this team um, at the gate. And I think it's a player that the Bruins really want to try to see more of. Um, you know, I think that 
you've never really seen it seen him put it all together um, in the NHL games that he's played. He played 15 games last year, um, had three points in his um, short NHL career. He's played 37 games, a goal, and six assists uh, for seven points. And I think, you know, the Bruins had him as a restricted free agent. I think it made sense to bring him back, um, you know, kind of a make-or-break time for him. You know, I think uh, has never really broken through to the NHL level and been a consistent enough player. Um, you know, obviously he's played a lot in Providence the last couple of years, but I think the Bruins are really hoping that this year they can see a new player. Um, and I think specifically with the coaching hire, you know, Stidnika is I think one of those players that the Bruins are hoping Jim Montgomery can get more out of um, and give him more consistent ice time um, to see what he really has. Um, I think that looking at this roster at the moment, um, and this is assuming that the Bruins are able to get uh, Bergeron and Krejci signed. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. Um, you know, he's in a position, Jack's in a position where, you know, he should be given a decent opportunity to win that fourth-line center spot um, and, you know, have the ability to play a good amount of games. Um, and I think that the Bruins giving him the two-way contract for this season, you know, tells me that, okay, they're going to try him in Boston. If it doesn't work, he can always go back to Providence. But then the Bruins are hoping, you know, the year after he can be on a one-way deal, stay in Boston, and, you know, really kind of solidify a role. Because the Bruins, you know, at the moment, at the NHL level, they don't really have a lot of depth at the center position, specifically, you know, going beyond a year. You know, if the Bruins bring back Bergeron and Krejci, chances are it's just one, one more year for them, and the Bruins are going to need you know, more uh, more stability at that center position. So the hope is that Jack can get a more consistent role this season, play more consistently, um, and be a solid player on the ice. So, you know, I think it made sense to bring him back. I mean, I don't really think there was any reason not to. Um, the Bruins also did make uh, a coaching announcement uh, last week, bringing in John Gruden. No, not the football coach. Uh, different guy. Uh, he had, Gruden had coached the, uh, with the Islanders the last couple seasons, um, was in charge of coaching the defense. It's assumed that he'll do the same here in Boston, and I think it it's going to be interesting. You know, I'm glad that the Bruins could hire someone from outside the organization. I always like when they do that. Um, and I just think, you know, getting some fresh blood, getting some fresh eyes, in to look at their defense makes a lot of sense um, because I think the Bruins are a team right now that they want their defensemen to get more involved offensively. They want more shots on goal from their defense. You know, they want to be able to have that kind of five-man offensive attack where every guy is, not every guy is a threat, but like every guy has the ability to throw shots on goal and, you know, doing things to help the offense. So, I like the hire, you know, I like that they hired someone different to try to get new eyes um, and see if they can get more out of a player like Brandon Carlo um, to get him more involved offensively. Um, the Bruins, I think that there was a report that uh, Pavel Zaka's agent uh, was saying that uh, his, his new contract is going to be coming soon, so I think that that should tell you that the Bruins might be getting somewhere close to 
you know, figuring out what this roster is going to look like at the start of the season. Um, you know, Zaka, I think it was announced that he was going to salary arbitration, but obviously, you know, a player can complete a contract before then, which is probably the hope that the Bruins have, that they could reach an agreement on a contract before they have to go uh, to an arbitration hearing. So, you know, hopefully that happens in short order. I think that the Bruins also, um, you know, would like to get a new deal done with David Pasternak at some point. Um, and I think that that could be part of, you know, maybe what's taking some time with Bergeron and Krejci's decisions. But I do think that the Bruins are so up against the cap that it's just, you know, there are things that they have to do to make sure that they can fit in the players that they want to fit in. And, you know, Bergeron and Krejci's decision could be contingent on, you know, Pasternak and his decision to stay. I don't think that there's any decision that, you know, maybe he wants to leave, but I think the Bruins probably want to, you know, cover every possibility that in the off chance that Pasternak does want to be traded, that they can facilitate a type of deal that Matt Kachuk um, was a part of going from Calgary to uh, Florida, and if the Bruins have to make a trade like that. Um, but I don't think that that's going to happen. You know, I think at some point they'll get Zaka's deal finalized. You know, they'll see if they need to move out salary. They'll sign Pasta to a new contract, and they'll give Bergeron and Krejci, you know, those one-year deals. But I don't think it's time to panic. You know, I think uh, let's panic if it gets closer to September. Um, and there's not any news on those three guys in particular. Um, but I think, you know, July 25th, there's no need to be, you know, freaking out about whether guys have signed or not, because I think, you know, negotiations take time. You know, it's not like the Bruins have, it's not like the Bruins have $12 million in cap space, you know, and they can do these deals easily. It's like they're right up against it. So, you know it takes time to do these things. And I think that at the end of the day, we're going to see Zaka get a new deal. We'll see Pasternak and, uh, or we'll see Pasternak get his new deal. We'll see Bergeron Krejci uh, return. You know, that's at least the hope at the moment. So I think just before we move on, I did have a couple of other Bruins thoughts that um, kind of coincides with the hiring of uh, John Gruden, the new coach that's going to be, you know, in charge of the defense. The Bruins' defense, obviously, is going to be shorthanded to start the season uh, with McAvoy and Grizzlick, you know, both missing a decent amount of time at the start of the year. You know, I think the, assume, the assumed top pair at the moment is going to be Lindholm and Carlo. You know, I don't really think that there's any question there, although I think that it's possible that you could see someone like Jakob Zaborl uh, make enough of an impact at training camp and in the preseason that he could possibly challenge uh, to play that top pair role with Lindholm. Um, you know, obviously Zaboral's not had too much NHL experience, but, you know, that's something that the Bruins could try. Um, I think that they like the combination of Forbert and uh, Connor Clifton. You know, I think that they were pretty solid in the playoffs. Um, but then it becomes a little challenging because you do have Mike Riley on the roster who... I think could be a prime candidate to get traded. But then again, if you're moving someone like Riley, you know, you would then be asking, you know, someone like a Connor Carrick or a Jack Ashan to play a bigger role than they normally would have. So I think, you know, that leads me to believe that 
you know, if they're going to trade Riley, you have Carrick, you have Ashawn, you might need someone else. And I think you might need someone else on the right side. You know, someone like Michael Stone might make sense. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think only played 20 or so games last year for Calgary, you know, kind of a smaller role guy. I think that that could possibly make sense for the Bruins, you know, specifically if they move Mike Riley. If they don't, you know, and they decide to move someone like a Craig Smith or a Nosek or a Felino in some off chance, um, that I think it might be smarter if they look at the forwards first um, because they want to make sure that they have enough defensively to start the year uh, without McAvoy and Grizzly. But I think once Grizzly and McAvoy come back, you know, I think you're going to be I think you're going to be pretty good. Um, so. It's just going to be curious to see, you know, what Gruden can do with that defense. Can he get Brandon Carlo to be more involved offensively? You know, what can they get out of Jakob Zaborl? You know, does he take another step that tells you that, okay, this guy could be a legitimate top four, top four D, or someone that could even play top pair with Hampus Lindholm? Um, so I'm curious to see. I mean, I'm excited to see what Jakob can do because I think it's a tremendous opportunity for him. Um, to potentially play top pair, play top four minutes, you know, really show the Bruins that, okay, he is the real deal and he is able to play big minutes the way that he was able to um, before he got hurt last year. So I'm excited to see what he can do, you know, excited to see what the coaching uh, change does or the new coach or what the new coaching staff can do uh, to get some of these guys more involved offensively. So um, I think that that's going to do it for the Bruins. I'm going to move on to talk a little bit about the Revolution. We just had a uh, survival mode uh, tie against the Columbus crew on Saturday night. Um, in Columbus, the Revs really just kind of uh, survived. You know, I think that's really the uh, simple way to put it. The Revs just survived um, in this game. You know, scoreless draw. Not a whole lot of chances offensively, um, but the Reds really did hold it down defensively, which is good to see um, as they've had some defensive issues in the last couple of games. Um, Henry, Kess- Henry Kessler um, I thought was outstanding. He was great defensively. Georgie Petrovic obviously was great again. Um, and I know I've probably said this a couple times, but I think it's just great to have someone like Petrovic who you go from Turner, you go to Petrovic, you're not really missing much. You know, Matt Turner was great with the revolution and I'm not trying to knock him at all, but I think someone like Petrovic has, you know, I don't want to say higher ceilings. I don't want to say that in a negative way, but I think that, you know, Matt Turner, you consider who he was undrafted rookie out of college, you know, Georgie Petrovic probably playing against higher competition in Europe. Um, But I just think that was one of the big concerns that I had when the revolution were going to lose Matt Turner that, okay, you know, what's the backup plan, you know, but obviously the refs had a plan and Petrovic has been awesome, uh, made a couple of huge saves um, in that game Saturday night, you know, obviously we wish, we, we wish Matt Turner, you know, all the best in Europe as um, his season will get started in a couple of weeks, um, but I thought Petrovic was great, Kessler was great, I thought the defense was solid, you know, offensively, there's still a little bit to be desired. You know, Gustavo Bo was not available um, on Saturday. The Revs had to start uh, Josie Altador, who did just, you know, it's just, I, I go back and forth 
on him as a player because I think, you know, he is a guy that has that physical presence and can give you, you know, an advantage um, in, in the attacking box or in the attacking third, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I just kind of, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sure about him. And I'm kind of was surprised that the revolution, you know, gave him the contract they did. And, you know, obviously he had that, that dust up with the coaching staff a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I just think, you know, he's not the worst option to throw out there in place of, a Gustavo Bo, but it just seems like he's not really found his rhythm, and I just felt like, you know, we talked about in the beginning part of the season, something Bruce Arena said that, you know, it'll take him a bit to get his legs going, but it's like he kind of should have them now, and he kind of should be making more of an impact than he's making right now. So, um, you know, I don't really know what that's about. It could just have been a game that the Revolution just couldn't really get much going on. I mean, the expected goals in that game was you know, point two for the revolution. So, I mean, there really wasn't anything that was happening offensively, but the Reds, you know, did not drop any points. Well, didn't lose a game, which I think is the most important thing. You know, you're always going to take a road draw, but at the same time, this is a team that's in a position where they need more points. You know, as we start to kind of see the, you know, we kind of start to look at where they are. You know, they only have... A little more than you know 10 games left in the regular season you need to start getting points because the revs are out of the playoffs right now you know they're two points behind fc cincinnati closest team um or the team that's in the last playoff spot the revs are two points back and it's like there are some other teams that are also in the mix so it's like you need to take advantage of games that you have chances to win i don't really think the revs had a great chance to win that game in columbus they probably had a better chance to lose you know, based on the chances that Columbus got and the shots on goal that they had. Um, but the Revs need to start piling up points or it's going to get very, very dangerous at the end of the season. You know, you don't want to be going into the final regular season game in Chicago where, you know, you need two points to get into the playoffs. The Revs can't go into that last game, you know, hoping that, you know, they get two points. Like, they need to start getting points at any chance or at any, at any time they can. The refs have a home match against Toronto FC on Saturday evening. Um, if we take a look at, you know, the MLS standings, that's a not a very good team. You know, and a team that the Revolution should be able to, to take care of. Um, but it just, it seems strange that, you know, nothing has really come easy for this team this year. And you know, they're kind of running out of time to get it together, you know, and really kind of become a, a team that people can get behind in the playoffs. I mean, I really think that at this point, the Revolution really can just hope for getting into the playoffs and getting hot. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they can get on a, a hot stretch at the end of the season um, to kind of really solidify where they are um, in the standings. Uh, one player that I thought made, made sense to uh, mention was Dewan Jones. He had a couple of um, times in the Columbus game that he um, got more aggressive and got more into into the offense. That's kind of something that I've noticed this year, that um, he's become more more aggressive and, like, jumping up into the play. 
um, has a goal and four assists this season, um, I think is a guy whose role I think was going to become a larger role this season. And I think he's done a really excellent job for this team. Um, but I think, you know, you want him to continue to be assertive and being aggressive um, because this is a revolution team that I think they're going to need all the goals that they can get because defensively they've kind of been shaky for the most part of this season. But I really like what Duan has uh, shown this season, and I thought he really played well in the Columbus game um, as well. So I think that's probably going to do it for us talking about the uh, local teams. We're going to get on to uh, some notes from around, uh, some, er, from around sports. I'm going to get to the NHL. There were obviously a couple of trades that happened over the last week or so. Uh, there was a signing, Pierre-Luc Dubois, getting a one-year deal with the Jets uh, to avoid arbitration. He's a guy that, as a Bruins fan, I have my eyes on next offseason as he is scheduled to be a free agent next offseason. Um, he's a guy that I think would be a perfect fit uh, for the Bruins if they're looking to address you know, one of the top center roles um, are looking to address, you know, the top center role or the number two center. Uh, he's a guy that, yeah, I would, I would give all the money in the world to that guy. Yeah, I'm the yeah, eight-year deal, hundred million. I'm doing, I'm doing some crazy stuff with him. Maybe not a hundred million, but um, I think he'd be a great fit for the Bruins next offseason if they do have uh, money and are looking to go after someone like that. Um, Columbus did re-sign Patrick Laine. Gave him a four-year deal worth uh, almost $9 million a year. Uh, Morgan Geeky signed a new contract with the Kraken. Um, and then the trades that happened, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand uh, sent from the Blue Jackets to the Kraken for a couple of draft picks. Really like what Seattle's doing offensively. I think that they could be um, a pretty good team in terms of offense next year. You know, jury's still out on, on, def- on defense and the goaltending, but... Uh, they might be a little bit more exciting to watch with the signing of Burakovsky um, and now Bjorkstrand, who's an underrated, uh, very, very good player. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do um, out there in Seattle. And then obviously the big trade, as we mentioned earlier, Matthew Kachuk going from the Flames to the Panthers as he had uh, told the Flames that he was not going to sign long-term um, in Calgary. So he gets sent to Florida for uh, Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weaker. So obviously, you know, a massive move between two teams that are, you know, hoping to stay as, like, solid cup contenders. You know, I think Kachuk going to Florida, it's a big move for Florida. They got a star player, but they had to trade, you know, one of their star players in Huberdeau. And Mackenzie Weaker is a pretty good defenseman, so... It's an interesting trade because I think both Huberto and Weger are scheduled to be free agents. Um, I thought the Flames really did well in the position that they were in, you know, getting a, pretty much getting a star player for a star player and, you know, hoping that they can maintain being a, being a threat in their division. Uh, you know, Florida, I'm kind of not sure about their defense now with that trade, but obviously Kachuk's a fantastic player and, you know, you would want him long-term um, as he is now signed for uh, eight years that will take him through the 2029-2030 season, which is just ridiculous to say out loud, but uh, that was kind of the 
the big news in the NHL this week. We're now going to take a look at uh, some notes from around Major League Baseball. Obviously, there was news that uh, Juan Soto will uh, probably be traded from the Nationals as he turned down his um, or turned down the Nationals' offer of 15 years for 440 million. So. <laughs> There's going to be a king's ransom for him, absolutely. I mean, one of the best players in baseball. Um, so that was kind of interesting, you know, speaking of guys being available to trade. Um, Major League Baseball obviously had their induction ceremony yesterday afternoon. David Ortiz, obviously the uh, big name, but there are a couple of other players that got inducted uh, or baseball Luminaries. Um, trying to think, is there's not like there's not a list of who got inducted. If you just give me a second, uh, Tony Oliva was also inducted. Uh, three batting titles, led the American League in hits five times, hit three oh four for a fifteen year career with the Twins. Um, obviously, David Ortiz. Um, started his career in Minnesota, so kind of a neat connection there. Um, Mini Munozo uh, was also elected the first uh, black Latino player in the American League or National League. Um, he was inducted. Uh, the late Buck O'Neill was also inducted as well um, as uh, with his contributions to the uh, Negro Leagues in baseball. Um, MLB pitcher and broadcaster Jim Cott, Jim Cott was also um, was also elected. Gil Hodges, formerly of the Brooklyn Dodgers, was also selected. Um, and Bud Fowler, nineteenth-century pioneer, considered to be the first ever black baseball player in professional baseball, um, rounded out the people that were honored. It's a really cool uh, ceremony there for Major League Baseball. Going to take a look at the standings in the MLB. If you just give me a second, sorry about that. A little scattered here. <laughs> but just always neat to pay attention to the induction ceremony. You know, players that meant so much to Major League Baseball, but just the game of baseball itself. So, um, a really cool ceremony. Um, take a look at uh, the standings Major League Baseball at the moment. Uh, the Yankees obviously still leading the AL East, leading by 12 and a half games. The margin is a little smaller as the Blue Jays have now won six in a row. Uh, they've been playing really good baseball ever since the coaching uh, change that they had. Uh, the Red Sox obviously in fourth place, 17 and a half games back of the Yankees. Um, Minnesota still leads the Central by three games over Cleveland, four games over Chicago. Uh, Houston is now 13 games up um, in their division in the American League West over Seattle, who has come back down to earth after they won 14 in a row. The Mets in the National League East lead the division by only a game and a half over Atlanta, who's been surging uh, recently. The Brewers remain in first place in the National League Central two and a half games up on the Cardinals, and then the Dodgers in first place in the National League West. 
11 and a half games up on the Padres. As we take a look at the wild card standings, Toronto is in the first spot, followed by Tampa Bay and Seattle. And then you have Cleveland two games back. The Red Sox and the White Sox both three games back. And then Baltimore three and a half back. In the National League, the Braves have a wide margin as they lead the first wild card spot, followed by the Padres and the Cardinals with Philadelphia a game back, San Francisco two back, and then Miami five back. Um, so obviously the big news in the NBA as we move over, the uh, obviously the big news about the Celtics and uh, Kevin Durant, I think that uh, Jalen Brown uh, just tweeted a little while ago, um, SMH, which, you know, kind of unfortunately might tell you where his head's at, which is something that kind of concerns me personally. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Monty Williams and the Suns agreeing to an extension um, and James Harden and the Sixers reaching an agreement on a new two-year $68.6 million deal, uh, which will give the Sixers some room to um, operate in the future in terms of free agency. Um, so obviously we'll get to the NFL with training camps getting underway. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, year, you know, obviously with the tremendous player movement, um, specifically in the AFC, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what some of the new what some of the guys look like in their new uniforms, specifically uh, Devontae Adams with the Raiders, uh, Russell Wilson with the Broncos, Tyree Kill with the Dolphins, uh, a bunch of new places, or a bunch of old faces in new places. Um, some sad news uh, yesterday that it was revealed that uh, Texans rookie wide receiver John Mechie has been diagnosed uh, with leukemia. So really, a really awful break uh, for a promising young player. I mean, Mechie, who was a guy that I think a lot of uh, Patriot fans were interested in uh, when the draft happened, but he went to Houston. Um, so obviously, you know, thoughts and prayers to, to John and his family, and hopefully he can beat it and get back out to the, onto the field because I think that's what we would all like to see um, from him. Um, you know, training camp starting from starting all over the NFL. The Colts, uh, Darius Leonard will start camp on the PP list after surgery. Um, and then uh, Kyler Murray obviously signing a new deal with the Cardinals. So he will stay long term as there were kind of some concerns over the last year or so about whether he would sign long term so he is signed for the cardinals um, if we want to take a quick look at the um, nfl hall of fame weekend the hall of fame game is uh, thursday august 4th so it's actually uh, like a week plus away uh, vegas and jacksonville will play in canton ohio to open the preseason. Um, so obviously the Patriots will have practices starting Wednesday through the rest of the week, and then they will have practices the week after. Uh, Patriots' first preseason game is against the New York Giants on August 11th. So a little more than two weeks away for the Patriots. So I think that's probably going to do it for uh, the podcast this week. Thanks for um, everyone who listened uh, be on the lookout for the new Guest Friday later this week. I'll be talking with 
um, Evan Greasing. Evan will be returning to the podcast to talk uh, some Red Sox. We'll talk about what uh, the team is uh, thinking as the trade deadline approaches and uh, what players may be moved, what players maybe could have been moved by the time we put out that recording. So um, looking forward to that. Um, as always, you can follow uh, the podcast um, in the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. You can give us a follow on Spotify. You can uh, you know, follow on Apple Podcasts, give a, a rating and a review. Really would appreciate that. And uh, that being said, everyone enjoy the rest of the week. And please remember to stay cool. Uh, that heat wave is uh, not really going anywhere. So uh, stay cool, everyone, and we'll talk to you on Friday.